Thank you so much, Megan. Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, it's so good to have Megan around. Seriously, I'm only, like, barely making it through because all the help that Megan provides is, uh, is so needed. Um, hey, let's, let's open in prayer. Um, it, Megan's correct. It's been a busy weekend, so uh, we just finished all our annual planning for ne- uh, next year. So we've gone through all the different ministries. We're looking at all of our plans. Um, and so uh, God needs to really burst into the service today. Let's commit it into prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a good God. You have good plans for us, um, and, and, and you uh, know more things than us, Lord. And so today, even as we begin the series uh, on Revelation Wisdom, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to put aside our ideas, our own thinking, our, our plans, and that we would for a moment um, in this space uh, really, really, really pay attention, really, really hear what your word has for us, what your plans are for us, Lord God. And help us, Lord God, to reconcile your wisdom with the kind of life that we're currently living. And I pray, Lord God, for every single one of us, even myself included, that you would transform our lives in light of your wisdom today. We humbly come before you. All of us humbly come before you, Lord, um, um, and ask you to lead us well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Just a heads up, today is going to be a a pretty tricky topic. If you think today's tricky, next week's also tough, and then it's going to get harder uh, the the week after. Um, So, um, first up, I wanted to do a little plug for this, I keep calling it the porn book, but it is the Neuroscience of Pornography Addiction Made Simple, How to Treat Porn Addiction. Uncle Alan um, has brought this book. He's actually um, paid for the book himself and is donating all the proceeds to the building fund. So we only have 20 copies outside. It is uh, $15. Uh, I've read this book. (laughs) So there's not many books that I go around recommending. I really like this book. And if I could be really honest, um, part of why I like this book is it's written in Malaysian style. Like a little bit like Uncle YC's water baptism promo. You know, you like you read it and you go, should he be saying these things? Like, is this really? And then they just goes on, you know, in detail about all kinds of things that you would never normally say to your best friend if you were having a chat about porn like you normally do, you know? And then you you read it and then but um and so I for that reason, I like it because it covers a bunch of things that you just were, oh my goodness, I don't think you could even publish this in Australia, right? And so, so but, but read it, you know, with a, you know, a pinch of salt. Um, the, the big plus of it, though, is that the big picture is correct. That in case you thought porn was harmless and in case you thought, oh, it's not that big a deal, or you're struggling with actually breaking that addiction, um, this book is very, very helpful. It's written by two doctors. Um, there's a lot of research that's gone into it, but also practical uh, ministry as these guys have gone through and tried to help people uh, escape the bondage and the clutches of pornography. 
So and since today, you may or may not realize, today we're talking about sex. I thought we would plug the porn book. I probably shouldn't keep calling it the porn book. But, uh, you know, it's outside, um, and we only have $20. So 20 copies for $15. You can donate more. It's just going to the building fund. And I want to thank Uncle Alan so much for bringing it over and donating this. Uh, It's really aimed to be a blessing to us as a church. Okay. Here we go. Um... Let me just give you a really quick, um, quick overview. As you know, this year, we are going through the book of Revelation. For a while, we've taken a bit of a pause from Revelation. We're just going to revisit it now towards the end of the year. The two major home group series that we've been running uh, in the beginning of the year was the seven love letters, which was the letters written to the churches in the book of Revelation and the series called End Game which looks at the major themes of the book of Revelation and what is God's, you know, end game. Marvel may have an end game, right? But let me tell you, God has a bigger end game that wasn't 10 years in the making and 22 movies or whatever it is. It was all of humanity in the making and all of our real history. So it's actually pretty uh, significant. But what I was hoping in this final sort of revelation series for the year, what I was hoping to do with this final series is uh, highlight the fact that the book of Revelation is not just a prophetic book. It is also a book about wisdom. So if, if, you, if the book of Revelation is brand new to you, you don't know anything about it, can I encourage you to either go back On our website, you can find our home group materials, but you can also see all of our previous sermons. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the context of the book of Revelation and its genre and things like that. Other than to say that it is a book that helps us to live our life in light of what is going to happen. Okay, so um, as you know, today's topic is sex. Great. Uh, We're talking about the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation shows us God's ultimate plan. And knowing God's ultimate plan helps us make decisions now in light of the future. Okay, so that's why it's called wisdom. Because a fool, let me tell you what a fool does. A fool doesn't have the end picture in mind. A fool just goes, hey, this is working for me right now. Hey, this is really good right now. And then walks around, walks around. Oh, my goodness. Free food, free this, do this. Like, great, great, great. And doesn't think about really where it's going. A wise person goes, hey, let me just look up for a bit. I know you're offering me a 50% discount on this whatever thing that I don't need, right? I can look forward ahead. And see where that goes and walk past this trap here, this enticement here. Skip this, this blatant, you know, uh, sidetrack over here and get to the end thing well. All right? That, that's why the book of Revelation can be viewed as a wisdom book. Uh, there are many examples in life that talk about why it's important to have a final picture uh, and why that's why. So I'm just going to use a few to try to make it a little bit relevant. You know when you're playing computer games 
or you're playing board games, right? Uh, we did this thing, a uh, whole bunch of guys are so cool. We had this board games night, which was so fun. Uh, and these guys, they, they, they put all of their cards, their board game cards. You can tell it's such an Asian board games group. Firstly, they bought the game on Kickstarter, right? And then all the cards have got their own little custom plastic sleeve. So that when you play, you don't dirty the cards. Yeah, it's so cool. Anyway, we, so we got, this, we got this Kickstarter board game. No one knows how to play it, right? We don't. We watch a video of the thing where we've got these plastic whatever card things. And we play the game for full on, like, I want to say five hours, six hours. We get to the end of the thing and we're like, whoa, that was so fun. Oh my goodness, we won so easily. And then we look at the, we look at the instructions again because we're now setting up for the next time we play it. And we played the game wrongly. <laughs> and we, we, we gave ourselves too much equipment, too much items, too much, because we were playing the short version of the, the rules for the short version of the game, but we played the long version of the game. And so we got all the, we were so overpowered, you know. Anyway, like you don't want to do that in life, right? You don't want to like get to the end of your five-hour board game of life and discover you read the rules wrong. Or maybe it's uh, like when I go to the gym or I'm running, you know, I, I always start so enthusiastic. I can do it. Yeah, and then my man and I will go for a walk or a run or whatever it is. Let's go. And, and man's always like very slow. Should we walk here? I'm like, let's go, 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 go. And, and I'm like a fool because she knows how fit she is. I don't know how fit I am. So like full on five minutes into the run, I'm like, Ah, ah, let's go home. And then she's still walking through, dragging me along, right? But we know that if you don't have the end picture in mind, you tend to make decisions in the short term that ultimately make you look a little bit foolish, right? A wise person says, hey, here's the whole picture. Here's the end game. Here's the final thing. And now I'm going to do, uh, it's like your exams. I know a lot of people are having exams right now, right? Like, it's wise. Uh, here's a study tip for you, right? Pace yourself through the exam. Go, go look through during the reading time. That's why they give you reading time. Look through all the questions and see if you can answer it. And where are the problem areas, right? The, a terrible way to do your exams is to go to question one, question two. You're stuck at question number three. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how to do it. It's worth two points, you know. And you're like, ah, oh, whatever. And then you run out of time at the end for the questions you know you can answer, right? Like, we all know this, that having, in the book of Revelation, we know that if we can get some kind of glimpse of what that final picture is like, what, what things are going to matter in life, what is God's um, big plan for creating this world, then it can inform how we live and what we do today. That can happen in business. That can even happen in your marriage and in your life. That's why we think it's very useful to have in a community like this, people who've gone a little bit ahead. So that if you're parenting and you think the most important thing in parenting in the world is to buy the correct pram for your first child. And you're like, oh my goodness, I got some tough decisions. I'm becoming a dad. I got to pick the right pram. All you need to do is talk to somebody who has been like 20 years ahead, 10 years ahead, right? Um, there are things that we can learn that we can get wisdom from f when we have a 
further view. And so I don't think I need to belabor the point. We all know this. That's why the book of Revelation um, um, it, uh, is a wisdom book. Because wisdom realizes that all things are connected. What I do today affects tomorrow. What I do in my private life affects other people. What, like wisdom goes, hey, I better think about how I live because, oh my goodness, a whole bunch of things are connected. A fool thinks nothing is connected. What I do at all, I can play computer games. It has no effect on my studies at all. It has not, like, I can go in porn and it doesn't link in with my, my sex life or my, my marriage. A fool says things are not connected and I will just sort of take things as they are, bit by bit. A wise person goes, here's the big context, all things are connected, all right? That is also why um, Proverbs, which is the main book on wisdom in the Bible, uh, has as its anchor, and it's repeated again and again in the book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other verses in Proverbs, it will say the beginning of wisdom. It just uses it interchangeably. And that fools despise wisdom and Instruction. Why is it that the fear of the Lord is beginning? Because if all things are connected, who do you think connects all things? God. Who do you think is going to be the ultimate judge of all things? It would be God. And so if you fear God, if you and the fear of the Lord means the correct reverence that God deserves. That means if you take an orientation where you go, oh my goodness, I am not God. I didn't make the world, but God did. And you fear Him in, in terms of reverence. You revere Him. That is your first step to realizing, oh my goodness, all things are connected under Him. And I can now move, walk in the way of wisdom with that in mind. And so that's why the book of Proverbs um, that's why the book of Revelation, I think, has got a lot of insights for us. In how we live today. Because I know people read the book of Revelation and think, oh, you know, whatever, like horses are coming, earthquakes are coming, whatever. Nothing to do with me today. But it covers three major topics that we will be doing over the next three weeks. So if today was pretty good, please come along next week and the week after. But we are covering three huge topics that shape and move our world today. And I will, I will go as far as to say, if you don't think these are big topics, you're just naive. Because it affects our world. Sex, power, and glory. Or if you want to put it in a different way, I mean, you want to put it in a different way, sex and intimacy, right, love, whatever it is, sex drives so much of our entertainment, our marketing, our music. If you want to talk about power, then maybe you are thinking of how the world is driven by money, right? Um, by information power, by sheer strength of guns and, and, and uh, missiles, right? Power. If, if you want to think about glory and honor, then you think about how much of the world is driven by fame and, and Instagram likes and popularity and the things that we, we, we put up as glor uh, that we glorify. Okay? But I will put it to you. We don't have to have a long discussion about this because there is almost no doubt that these three topics shape our current world today. And as Christians, we have to have a redeemed view of this. As Christians, we cannot just follow the world's narrative about sex, power, and glory and honor. 
right? Glory and honor are put together as one. Uh, because it is not going that well for the world in its pursuit of these things. So, for the intents and purposes of today, and actually maybe all of life, uh, I'm going to equate sex with intimacy. Sex equals intimacy. And if for some reason you see this and you go, oh my goodness, how naive is Pastor Chris? Oh my goodness, there you go again, the church, whatever, whatever, right? If you look at this and you think we are watering down intimacy by saying sex equals intimacy, and you go, oh my goodness, how can intimacy just be sex? That's ridiculous. I want to put it to you that you have misunderstood the Bible. That you have, you have come in today, looked at these words in there, and actually have bought into the underplaying of sex. Because sex is not just a physical thing. The biblical word for sex in the Bible is a yada. And there's other words around, but let's just pick one. The first one that comes up, the Hebrew word. It's to know. That means when the Bible talks about sex, it's talking about to know and to be known. Yet when we see that word, so that's translated, the closest English translation we have for it is sex. Okay, fine. Fine. Okay? So this to know, which is used as euphemism in the Bible, whatever it is, uh, today we, 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 we go, oh, Adam knew his wife. He had sex with his wife, whatever, a kid came out. Right. But I would put it to you that today we underplay the biblical view of sex and sexuality. So that's why I put up something as controversial as this to begin. Sex equals intimacy. And if you feel like that waters it down, I would ask you to up your view of sex, to be holistic, to be intimate, to know and to be known. Because that would be what the Bible would use to describe, not the physical act. How many, how many physical act trends? There's not an instruction manual about sex in the Bible. Like, oh my goodness, right? It is talking about intimacy. How do we get known and to be known? That's what is turning the whole world around. The other thing I want to do is, as we go into this sort of three-week series is to just explain a bit about what a wisdom perspective is. All right? Because we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things and literally some of you we are going to be thinking, where's the Bible verse? Where's the Bible verse that says I cannot watch a little bit of porn? Where's the Bible verse that, you know, whatever the thing is, right? Um, we are going into a wisdom series. That means it is going to be less about the very legalistic rules here and there, but it's going to be about a wise way to live versus a foolish way to live. Can I just assure you, the foolish way to live doesn't produce good ends and so you will have to and a lot of what we're going to be talking about they're going to have to be decisions you make in life okay fga is not a cult we don't run around mandating that you have you know uh, a particular um uh, views or, or of of all the things that we're talking about today, and we don't like go check your browser history, maybe your mother does, I don't know, right? But uh, me as the senior pastor, I don't do that. And then we, we sit in front of church and we kick you out, you can't come in. That's not it. 
the goal. So I've got to say these things because sometimes people think that the church is so legalistic and is so um, restrictive that the, the whole goal of Christian ethics is so that you don't have a great life. But that couldn't be further from the truth. What we're trying to do is explore together, if you will allow, a way of wisdom. One that looks through to the end, that sees the consequences, that sees how things are, are linked, and, and moves us away from the way of folly. Will it mean that if you don't have sex before marriage, that you will have the most amazing marriage ever, and your, your sex life after marriage will be fantastic? Oh my goodness, obviously not. You're going to have to put some work into it. And we're going to have to, we have to talk about a whole range of intimacy things around marriage even. Okay? So it is not a simple formula is what I'm trying to say. It's not. It's a way of wisdom. It's a wisdom perspective. So that as you train a child in the way um, of the Lord, then when he's older, he won't depart from it. Does that mean that everybody who goes to learn the Bible never sins and always lives a life according to the Lord? No way. But your chances are better if you teach them while they're young. That's the wisdom perspective. So it's saying, like, if you study for your exams, will you get an A? Maybe, maybe not, right? But it's better if you study for your exams than not study for your exams. It's the kind of thing, right? So that's a wisdom perspective. That's why I'm going to actually say a whole bunch of things that I think you can pretty much only say in an Asian church uh, and maybe or not get away with it. I might get a lot of emails this week. But you know what? I'm just going to say it because the goal of this is, hey, let's have some honest conversation. Our heart is really to help you uh, walk in a way of wisdom. Okay, so the book of Revelation, and let's get into the Bible now. Because the book of Revelation has a metaphor to do with intimacy and sex. Okay? It, it has, uh, it contrasts the prostitute versus the bride. Okay? So if you're really young and you're here in today's service on sex, uh, you can ask your mom or dad, what is prostitute? And they will explain it to you really well after church. Great. Um, but, but this is the metaphor, okay? It contrasts basically a bride and a husband in a committed marriage, a long, um, long till death do you part marriage where all of me and all of you are together, right? Versus a prostitute, which is just fun for now, okay? Um, in fact... Um, and I'll go through a little bit of the differences, but let's read it. The book of Revelation, I'm keen to open up the book of Revelation uh, just because it's also pretty confronting. And as Christians, we should be actually reading the Bible. So what I might say might sound very palatable, but the book of Revelation is not. And it uses vivid imagery so that it sticks with humanity. And the book of Revelation has stuck with humanity for thousands of years. So let's read it. Okay, Revelation 17 says, Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came to me and said, Come, come, come. I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So it's, Revelation is painting a picture where the people in charge 
who are making business decisions and, and, and I don't know, doing things. Or, or we can view ourselves as mini kings even because we have so much choice nowadays. We live like, like old kings, okay? Um, but they have been um, to whom the kings of earth have committed sexual immorality and then with whose wine, uh, sexual immorality, the, um, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. That means that regular people all around have become intoxicated by what the prostitute is selling, as if we're like drinking wine, okay? The woman, uh, jump to four and six, the, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Looks great, is the summary of that, okay? Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was named, was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. Babylon um, is a little bit of a metaphor for the world system. Uh, you'll hear me talk a little bit about it next week, about capitalism and, and success and decadence and, and having a lot of things, right? Okay, so, but that's on her forehead. She's like, hey, I've got a stack of stuff and I look great. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw I marveled greatly. So not only is she defeating the people of the world, but for somehow people in church, which is the book of Revelation is written for people in church, have been mucking around with this. That's what you need to hear from the book of Revelation. Okay, then let's go to Revelation 19 where it's contrasted. After this, I heard what seemed to be the um, loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Verse 7 and 8, uh, 19, 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for, and this is the culmination of the book of Revelation. In fact, it is the culmination of the entire Bible where we are the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. All right? It's the culmination of this where God fulfills his promises that he has given to us. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure and for the and for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints you see here a big contrast between the bride and the prostitute in the book of revelation that's the big metaphor that is at play now i know you're thinking like and th if you could just write this down because i'm going to come to it at the end right but how do we know that God's way is good? Like, maybe some of you are thinking, maybe prostitute is not that bad. Like, why is it that God's way is good? And for me, it's just a very simple question. I'm just going to put it out there and then move on. What if we flipped it around? What if... Our God, who made this whole world, who we loved, who've made us promises, turns out to be a prostitute. He's just using us. The whole thing is a sham. He doesn't deliver his promises. We would not like that. In fact, 
we inherently know inside our own inbuilt God-designed ethics system that we would prefer for ourselves, for our what we would hope for, is somebody who keeps their promises, who is committed for life, who can accept all of you and give all of themselves. We inherently, all of us, whatever your faith is, would not like a God who is like a prostitute. Like some of these other Greek gods are just muck around and they're all humans here, let's just kill half of them, let's go, you know, mislead them here and there. That, that, we wouldn't say that's a good God. So I want to say, what I want to say is, we inherently know that God's plan of committed marriage, that Brian and the marriage, is good because we would want that. Okay? Let's just keep that in mind as we move on. But here are some contrasts between the prostitute and the bride. And we're going to go um, pretty quick through it because I think it's, a, it's like a black and white um, picture that Revelation is trying to paint. Okay, so the prostitute um, emphasizes exploitation, right? So the, obviously the prostitute, why is it called prostitute? Because she's gaining something. You may not know it, but the prostitute in um, Revelation is gaining something. So that when you watch porn, let's not be misled. Someone is gaining something. It's a $15 billion industry. Some guy is like living in some mega apartment somewhere, house or whatever it is, off of your porn addiction. It's a trap. There is exploitation taking place of the people who are involved, of the people who is watching, of people. There is exploitation taking place, okay? Then... On the bride's side is the picture of sacrificial love. And so you see Christ, uh, husbands who love their wives like Christ loved the church. He gave his life for the church. You see women um, who submit to their husbands as, uh, as the church submits to um, Christ. And so you see that mutual sacrificial love both ways, not one over the other. right? But the picture of marriage is of sacrificial love. Then you've got the prostitute of shallow relationships, right? Just in, out, you, don't, you need to worry about all the other strings that are attached. It's pretty shallow. Whereas the picture that's given for the bride and of marriage is of deep relationship. Complicated. Oh my goodness. My, my finances are intertangled with my wives and my property intertangled. Also my hobbies, my, my you know, I, and then my wife's interfering with how I put my clothes in the toilet. Some, you're like, oh my goodness, everything is intertangled. We're so in deep relationship together. Versus the prostitute where at a time of convenience of mine, I just show up and then like whatever the thing is and then I leave and I like, no complications, don't have to worry about a thing, right? Then you've got solitary, where, the, where the, the prostitute is described as just being alone in the wilderness calling out. So you've got solitary versus in community. That's why it's the, the wedding dinner and all are invited and everybody celebrates together the witnessing of the marriage, right? That, that uh, what can happen with the prostitute is, hey, let's do it in secret. Let's just be alone. It's just me and you. And then there's the lies, versus truthful and trusting. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, you see these two, and I know it, it uses sort of, you know, uh, we are the bride and then there's a prostitute. There's all this. I mean, it's not to degrade women. Let's just, I just want to be really clear. It's not, it's not for, for that. It, because the Bible had to be written in, 
so that every generation could understand it. And in the generation it was written to, these were very, very big metaphors. Okay? So, um, but when you read this, you should think about Proverbs chapter 9, where it talks about lady wisdom and lady folly, which I'll talk about a bit later. Okay. So, so far, if you're new to this, um, it... Uh, it might need to take a little bit of explaining, okay? Because today you're going to hear a lot of very weird concepts, especially if you're new to this, that, um, that apparently mankind has already rejected. Why are we going to be talking about some old-fashioned things that all of society has pretty much decided, hey, these are not a big deal? I, I want to ask the question. So if you're new and these are foreign concepts to you, can we just pause and ask the question, how has it been working out? Because in the last decades, 50 years, whatever it is, it hasn't been an increasing, it hasn't been an increasing Christian worldview. It has been a degrading of that. It's been a watering down of that globally, right? So um, we're seeing what's the new dating like, right? You're ghosting, there's negging, there's all these, uh, you know, living together on the rise, all these types of concepts are, are on the on Tinder is, you know, really popular hooking up, whatever, right? Um, how is all of that working out? Are we, I wish I could say that, you know, today's world has resulted with this transformation, the move away from traditional marriage and some of these concepts. I wish I could say it has resulted in a world with better relationships, better families, that our children are ra being raised up right now in a better environment. But oh my goodness, that has not been the case. That some of the things that the world is selling us, they haven't been producing good fruit. And so if you're sitting here, I want to make the case that it hasn't been working out quite as great as everybody else is making it out um, to be. In fact, you'll see with, with marriage, uh, there was a time when these Christian ethics of one man and one woman uh, were not the norm. That actually guys were in power and they could have whatever women they wanted and just discard them as they pleased, Right? Uh, with the rise of marriage actually came the increase in value of women, the reduction of abuse, neglect, uh, that, that then you had to be responsible. If you divorce a woman, you then have to like, oh my goodness, lose some of your property. Lose some, you know, like, so terrible for the guy, but kind of fair for the woman. But the environment before was not that. It was the woman had nothing. Okay, And so with the rise of marriage, actually came greater stability. It, it, it took over the West, actually. And now we're seeing that it's decline. And I want us to ask the question, has it been good? John Piper has this quote. He says, we live in a culture, uh, and it's a guy's quote, uh, we live in a culture where for the last 30, 40 years, the collapse of the meaning of biblical masculinity, that means you know, guys who, who, who hold up the biblical standard, right, um, has not produced a beautiful egalitarian society. It's produced a brutal masculine society. That means that guys now in this so much su supposed freedom world, we can do whatever things we want, whatever, it hasn't produced better marriages, better families. Oh my goodness, it's just highlighted more masculine abuse of things. And so... Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a hip, cool new term. I don't know. I get all these things. Um, it's called situationship. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, you're like, you're, you're not really in a relationship. It just so happens you're like together. I, 
You haven't really defined whatever the, it's a situation. You're in a situation, ah, whatever. It's a situationship, right? So it's like you're playing house by pretending you're in a relationship, but there's without the consistency, dependency, or reliability. Brilliant for you. Okay. So there are all these like tweets, you know, that, that come up. Um, uh, situationships. Let's just chill, have sex, and be confused on the fact that we're not together but have official emotions for each other. Or um, uh, this one guy says, y'all be so worried about relationships being an outcome. Why don't you just go with the flow? And this other person says, this is how you end up in a situationship for three years. Okay, or uh, this, this other lady, a year and a half into a situationship, this hun asked her gent, this lady asked a guy, if they can take it to a relationship, and he said, what's the rush? I feel like you're just following trends now. Except the situationship is the trend. Okay, hey, who wants to talk for three months, do everything a couple would do, and then decide they're not ready for a relationship due to a past trauma by their grade six ex? situationship okay anyway like there is a our world is not going more and more into waiting for committed relationships that's not the trend and I don't need to throw up heaps of stats to show you that it is blatantly obvious in our world today what's also on the rise in Christianity is what I'm going to call sexual atheism um, which is you are a Christian in every other way Except please do not touch my sex life. That's out of home group leader, please don't ask me about it. Pastor, out of bounds. Mom, dad, stay out of my porn or whatever the thing is, right? That we are a Christian in every single way, but in regards to our sexuality, we're atheists. We determine our own sexuality. We determine what's right. We set the standard for what we are going to do, all right? That's on the rise. Um, it's called sexual atheism. You know, christianmingle.com, Christian dating website, did an anonymous survey, right? And um, they found just last year that 63% of their subscription base, 63% believed sex before marriage was okay. ChristianMingle.com, all right? Why is that? Because you could be Christian and just have any sexual ethics you want. It's fine. It's the, rise, it's the rising trend. Um, porn. I don't even need to go through the stats of porn. But it is so conclusive that I would almost bet you in a room like this, so many people are either addicted or have recently watched porn in a Christian church like this. How does that become the case? Because we have divorced away our sexual ethics from Christianity. That's why every year at FGA, we have a sex Sunday. We talk about it. Because I'm keen for us, when we say we worship God, we follow God, that it's all of us in there. Okay. Great. So many of us are just playing this age-old argument where we basically, when we're talking about our sexual ethics, or we're talking about, right, we basically come down to this thing that Adam says, that Eve says, right, and the serpent tempts us with. Basically, it comes down to whenever, we're, however you're going to draw the line, and I'm going to talk the last 15 minutes on a bunch of detailed stuff, but however you draw the line, it comes down to, did God really say that? 
It's because we kind of want our way and we're looking for a loophole. And what I want to highlight is if you would listen today, not just to my words or, or whatever the thing is, that you would listen out for a way of wisdom. So that you would ask yourselves, even if you just come in here as a first timer, maybe you're not a Christian, fine. What is a wise way to live? What is a wise way to raise a family? What is a wise way to have the closest relationship you want to have in your life? What is a wise way for that? So let's smash through some <laughs> practical topics. All right, so I basically spent 30 minutes talking about the why, the importance of it. Just in case you miss here this sermon and you think this whole sermon is about me lecturing people about things to do, do this, don't do that. I think two-thirds of this sermon I have spent talking about the why and the framework for it. And then I'm going to spend one-third talking about practically how we live that out in our life, okay? You're welcome to call me, any of our pastoral staff, complain to your home group leader. I would rather we discuss these types of things. But let's go through the list. Porn. Porn changes your appetite. It sets you up for something that you can get easy without all of the attachments of full marriage and the bride. Getting married is very troublesome. It is. Trying to make a relationship work. Oh my goodness. Porn is very not troublesome. That is the allure. But it's misleading. It's exploitative because you're paying a price that you don't know about. And addiction becomes a real thing. And so, and porn is different for guys and girls. So I just want to talk a little bit about porn for men and porn for women. I cover it in many avenues, but I think it needs to be talked about. Porn for men is very simple. It's porn. All right? And so then guys see a whole bunch of images. They see video, whatever it is. And then the, their appetite gets attuned to that. Then they expect a certain thing from their partners. Right? Something that their partners can never achieve because they are not 10,000 women ready to go in one second. All right? So then it, 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 it devalues your relationship. It, it somehow corrupts your relationship. So I think porn for, um, um, porn for men, easy to understand. Porn for women is fantasy. And it's huge. So in the same way, when a woman goes, I wish my husband was like so-and-so. Oh, I, I, oh look, yeah, I, I've just seen this, this movie or I read this book and oh, it was so romantic. It was so fantastic, right? And then they build up an image. Of, Why can't my husband just remember to pick up his towel? Why can't my husband remember to call me when he's late? Or whatever the thing is, right? And you delve into fantasy about your husband. I want to put it to you, that's kind of the same thing. Because you're getting addicted, especially if you get addicted. That means you're always, when things get tough in your marriage, you're always going to that fantasy. I want to put it to you, it's the same. Because just as a woman cannot keep up with porn, a guy cannot keep up with whatever fantasy goes on in a woman's head. You'll never live up. And so then what happens is porn, in both sides, corrupts the appetite. Okay? Next, sexual intimacy. When you're dating... 
How close can you be, right? Like how far is too far and whatever, right? Okay, so there is a broad principle that the Bible talks about. Um, it's a broad principle, and I think it's very, very helpful as a rule of thumb for us, okay? That with greater commitment comes greater intimacy. So that intimacy is tied together with commitment. So if we take it ultimately all the way to the very end, when I'm ready to commit everything, then I'm ready for the greatest level of intimacy. Yeah? Intimacy works really best when it is bounded by commitment. You cannot be intimate with a million people. That is the definition of not intimate. Right? So as you get more and more committed, then you're getting more and more close as a general rule of thumb, okay? Uh, and I'm not going to talk about exactly where those kind of lines go and whatever it is, but that's, that's broadly. I think you want to ask this question about when um, it's before marriage and you're having sex before marriage, let's say, and the guy or the girl has promised you all kinds of things. Like, I'm not actually saying that uh, there is no trust at all in any relationship that is outside of marriage. That's not true. Of course, there's a lot of trust. There's love, there's trust, all these types of things. But you have to ask the question, what is being left out? Why are some things off the table? So we could have sex together, we can do everything, we can travel together, we can do all the things that, that a person would do as a married couple. Oh my goodness, he loves me so much, she loves me so much. Then why are we one step short of actually making a lifelong commitment together? Why are we then removing some of the things that law has actually put in place for marriage? Right? And so I think these are the things that you have to consider as you're navigating this whole dating world and in, in intimacy world. That's why we would recommend that as you do your courtship, that you're, you're one, you, you keep yourself accountable to somebody else in the church. You just like talk to somebody about it, about your, your, your physical intimacy. Then you keep yourself accountable to the community that you're in. So that means that he, in our church, things like, you know, when you're traveling alone together and you're not, and you're, you're not um, married, yeah? Or things like that, that you are thinking twice about that. Not that it's in the Bible somewhere. It's not. We're talking about a way of wisdom, a way that helps you to keep yourself doing the thing that you know you want to do to help to fit the plan that God has for your marriage. So we would encourage you, if you are dating, to actually manage your sexual intimacy so that it culminates with full commitment at the end. All right? And we can go into detailed conversations later on. Uh, I want to talk about affairs. You would be surprised. I'm a pastor. We see all, all kinds of things. It is not okay. <laughs> It is not okay. It is not okay to have a physical affair. It is not okay to have an emotional affair. It is not okay to be in a marriage and then your real heart connection is with somebody else. These are not good things. And they are incongruent with the Christian life. 
Because sex is not just about the physical act of sex. It is also about that whole intimacy. That means affairs can be more than just, they could include, but they could be more than just uh, sex. Physical sex. Okay, then I want to have a conversation a bit about great intimacy after marriage. All right? Um, This is also something that we have to watch. So we're not just having a conversation about all the things that you can't do and don't do before you get married. Actually, there's a lot of us here, we're married. And a wise, the way of wisdom, God's plan for sexuality is actually that we curate our sex life well when we're married. Our intimacy well when we're married. That means, oh my goodness, whatever, it's not like, oh, I've got all these pressures when I'm dating. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm like, oh, it's so tough being dating. Once I get married, all my problems are solved. No way. No way. Just go up to somebody who's married and ask them. <laughs> right? In what actually is supposed to happen is that when you get married, that is when you get to do great intimacy. That means both parties are working really hard to get closer together, to solve their problems, to serve one another, to love one another, right? And, and you know, Corinthians even talks about your bodies belong to each other. And then, and then Ephesians talks about how we're to submit one to another. And so you get actually a very, very beautiful picture of sex and sexuality in the confines of the commitment of marriage. That's the picture at the end of Revelation. How many people think the Christian walk is a, is a piece of cake? It is not a piece of cake, right? Trying to live out the Christian life. That's why it's a marriage picture at the end of Revelation. It's supposed to show us that great intimacy takes a lot of work. That's what's on view. Our marriage is meant to be a testimony for God and His church. That is the biblical view of sex and marriage. That we are supposed to. So just as God is forgiving of us as a church and still loves us and keeps His commitments, we are also supposed to be forgiving of our spouse and, and our, our, um, in, our, in our marriage. Right? The, we're supposed to, marriage is not for the, our own satisfaction and our own fulfillment. We're supposed to be imaging God. So that when people see our marriage, they're supposed to see how great the love of God is. That is what is on view. So I want to ask you, as I, just even as I end, like what narrative is forefront in your mind and in your life When it comes to sex, what kind of narrative, what story are you telling yourself? Is it going to be that story that says, hey, I'm shooting for the bride and the bridegroom. I'm shooting for the picture at, at Revelation. That's my goal for intimacy. Whether I'm married and I still have to have the kind of intimacy of Christ in the church, or I'm not married yet and I want to shoot for that, or is have we bought into the narrative of this world of cheap sex, fun sex that is without strings, that, that just, you know, just, just do whatever. Let's just get drunk with this wine because it will be so good. What narrative? Because the book of Revelation clearly conveys two narratives. And it uses a very clear contrast between the prostitute and the bride. Why I'm talking about this is because 
Um, and I'm, I'm really sorry if it's confronting, but we have to deal with it. What happens so much at church is people come up and they tell me, Pastor Chris, I'm doing everything correct. I'm doing everything correct. I'm coming to church. I, I pay my tithes. I help out in worship. I do this. I, I take my wife out on dates. I, I'm, I do this. I do all the correct things. But still, my God's presence is not at home. Still, my whole relationship is breaking down. It, it's like I'm filling a bucket and it's full of holes. Can I suggest to you that if you are genuinely trying very hard, and, you, and I know a lot of us are in that category, that there is an insight that the Bible offers that sin breaks relationship. That as we invite sin into our life, whether it would be through our pornography, whether it be through sexual immorality, whether it be, and, and, and many other things, but today we're just talking about sex, right? And it's not the every topic of FGA, it's today's topic, right? Um, but sin, especially sexual sin, breaks relationship. And so I think it is worthwhile for us on a Sunday like this to consider what our life is relative to our sexuality. How's that going? Is the question I'm asking. Because I was up a few weeks ago up with uh, Pastor Subi. And he was talking, Subi, fantastic, right? Um, but he was talking about contracts made in the dark. That God likes to make his contracts in the light. That means you know what the price is, which is all of your life he also gave all of his life. But you know what the price is, and then you know what you're getting for it. Contracts in the dark, you don't know what the terms are, and you don't know what the price is, and you don't know when you're going to have to pay it. And contracts in the dark, they are Satan's realm, is what Subi says. Because that's where Satan operates. That's where he specializes in. And so when you make a contract in the dark, you're entering into his place, his domain, and his terms. So I really want to caution all of us, actually, if I could. That's why Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God. That's very, very serious. I want to encourage us to have the same attitude that God has. That we hate sin. Let's not make apologies for it. In our lives. I'm not talking about being judgmental to other people. And I'm, let's, let's, just, let's just consider our own lives. It, would it be okay if you were a guy or you're a woman here in this church that follows God, that you would say, I want to have the same disposition to sin that God has. I hate it. I hate what it's doing to my life. I hate what it's doing to our relationships. I hate the hold that it has on me. In fact, there's a wrath in me that wants to tackle this thing so desperately and I'm sick of making apologies for sexual sin. That's the disposition God has. Um, Proverbs 9. I'm just ending with this one passage because I think it speaks so loud. It is... It is this imagery that the book of Revelation is calling on when it talks about the prostitute. And Proverbs 9 begins with Lady Wisdom who has prepared an amazing house and a banquet. And then it ends with Woman Folly. And Woman Folly is allowed 
And I just want you to, as, as we sort of close, if you could have your eyes closed, I'll just read it aloud. But I want you to think about that sexual temptation, that, that issue that you're currently dealing with, right? And I want you to, like, so, and you know it's away from God's plan. And I want you to picture it as a person. This thing that is enticing you. That's why the, the imagery of Proverbs is so powerful. So I want you to close your eyes, picture it as a person. The woman folly is allowed. She is seductive, but knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and takes a seat on the highest places of town. That means people can easily see. So easily accessible. And she's calling to those who pass by. Those who are going straight on their way. That means they're going the right way. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to not get distracted. But she's calling. She's saying, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Let him or her turn in here. Come on this way. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, I know, that's code, right? You know, think about what water has been stolen and what bread is being eaten in secret. Because these are not the things. This is not the way of wisdom. These are not the things of God. This is the way of lady folly. And she, so she says to him who lacks sense, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he, this person, does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell or Sheol. There is a great misleading that's taking place today in the world and in the church. And so today, I'm going to pray for us, but I'm actually going to ask you to take a big step if you want to come up to be prayed for, and you don't have to tell everybody what it is, but I want to invite you up. Our altar ministry team, they're going to come up right now. They're going to be on standby. You need to have the same kind of attitude that God has about your sin. That means today is a great day for you to just deal with it. Come up. You, if you don't feel comfortable exactly confessing it, just use vague words. It's okay. Come up and just say, today is the day the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and I'm going to change the way I live my life. Or even if I haven't done anything, I'm going to change the way I think about my life and how I want to go forward. Because God's plan is not as daggy as you would think it is. It's not. Now, please don't hear today's sermon and think everybody's goal is to get married. It's not. That's not it. God's plan, actually, if you are single, that's fine. Because God's plan is actually for that deep intimacy and commitment for all of your life through Him. It's just our marriage, if you're married, is to reflect that. Okay, and also don't think that sex is like everything. It's not. But oh my goodness, it has been a neglected issue in the church and in our lives. 
So that's what we have to deal with today. Tomorrow, next week, we're going to be dealing with power and, and how we deal with that, right? Um, but for, di- for this week, can I encourage you to take some very active steps about it? Maybe you need to have a conversation with your wife and your husband. Maybe, and I know this will be tricky, you need to have some conversations with your boyfriend and your girlfriend. The great news about a bridegroom that is loving and trusting is that God's promises are true. That means even if we fail, even if we're not the greatest wife in the world, the bride is a church, if we turn around and go back to God, He will take us back like the prodigal son. That's why the theme is faithful and true. So today actually could be a day where you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend can say, maybe we made some mistakes in the past. Can we come to God for forgiveness and begin anew? That is entirely possible for you. That can be your new narrative. You can say to your future children, there was a time when mom and I, we didn't know any better. God convicted us and we changed. So there'll be some things in our history that maybe you might hear about. We're not proud of those, but we're proud of the moment that we submitted our lives to God and we turned it around. We turned it around. That's a good story. That's a, that's a gospel story. That's a story that will inspire your children to still shoot for God's plan. So don't feel like you're disqualified in any way because of your past sin. But it is a fork in the road. It is. Because you can walk out today and choose the way of wisdom or choose the way of folly. That's on all of us. All right? Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you, God, that your word is so clear, that, um, that you have even shown us so much love that you've given us a snapshot of the end, a snapshot of your plans so that we could live our life in light of it. I pray, Lord God, for real difficult conversations to take place all through our church, in all relationships, married, not married, single, all, that we would rethink our view on sex and sexuality and that we would rethink whether it is God's plan or our plan. We commit this into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, so please, please feel free to come up. We will try to we will keep confident.